Hi everyone, and welcome back to another episode of There I Read It, where I'm going over the Harry Potter books chapter by chapter for the first time in my life. And today we are on chapter 12 of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. So this chapter is called The Polyjuice Potion. That's right, I read this a few days ago and then couldn't record right away. So um, I'm sure I've got a few details that have been lost since then, but I love this chapter. So let me hop into my notes because obviously this is going to be about Hermione finishing that polyjuice potion she's been working on forever. So chapter 11 ended with Harry being taken by McGarnagle to Dumbledore's office and here chapter 12 starts with Harry getting inside the office. And while McGarnagle is going to fetch Dumbledore, Harry's in there thinking that this is the most interesting office he's ever seen, and the Sorting Hat actually lives in there. So Harry, having all of these doubts about whether or not he's really the Slytherin heir and if he belongs in Gryffindor, he decides he's gonna take that Sorting Hat and plop it back on his head. And the Sorting Hat just sort of reiterates what it says before. He says, you would have done well in Slytherin. And that really upsets Harry and he kind of cuts off the sorting hat before it gets to finish. So I'm guessing the sorting hat was gonna say, yeah, I stand by what I said. You would have done well in Slytherin, but you were also able to do well in Gryffindor or probably any of the other houses. And then after that happens, Harry's kind of trying to settle his mind and he notices this sickly half-plucked turkey looking bird who just bursts into flames and then he's a big old pile of ashes right there in front of Harry. He has no idea what to do but you know since he keeps running into all of these petrified and dead things at Hogwarts he is terrified he's about to get blamed for that. And it turns out that the half-plucked turkey is actually Fox the Phoenix and this is what is called his burning day where he just sets himself ablaze and becomes a little chicklet. And apparently phoenixes are known to carry heavy loads, their tears can heal, and they make very faithful pets. But I'm actually really surprised that Harry has not researched phoenixes or at least can recognize them on sight considering his wand is made with a phoenix feather. Come on kid, I know in the first book all of this stuff was new to you, but at a certain point you have to take responsibility to do some research on your own. Nobody's keeping the information away from you anymore. Who though in their right mind is not going to be curious like, oh my wand is made with a phoenix feather. Well, don't know what that is. Who cares? Disappointing, Harry. You just disappoint me here. I mean, I'm sure Hermione knows exactly what is in her wand and what that creature looks like on sight. There is no keeping Hermione from the information. That genie has been let out of the bottle and she's gonna soak up every magical bit of info she can get. And then Hagrid bursts into the office and he's like, no, no, it couldn't be Harry that did this. And he's still got the dead chicken from the last chapter hanging out with him. Um, I don't know that I took the note in the last chapter though. So apparently Hagrid is keeping chickens down by his hut and something keeps breaking in and killing them. So he wants to talk to Dumbledore about doing a charm or something to keep his birds safe. But as far as Hagrid trying to burst into Dumbledore's office and dramatically defend Harry, it really didn't matter because Dumbledore was very aware that Harry had nothing to do with hurting anybody. Even though unfortunately at this stage, even McGarvey is like, um, this is a little too suspicious, Harry. I think, I think maybe we should send you home. And she doesn't say it directly, but again, in the last chapter, when they're walking to Dumbledore's office, she's like, well, this is out of my hands now, Harry. I don't care about your excuses. This is going to Dumbledore. So even McGarnagle seemed to feel like things were too coincidental to keep 
putting up with Harry possibly hurting people. But the trouble gets all sorted out, Harry's just fine, and it later turns out that Crab and Goyle are also staying over Christmas break. So lucky enough, they're gonna stay at Hogwarts just like Malfoy and Hermione and Ron and Harry so they can make this plan work perfectly. And I know that this is a youth book, so some things are just gonna be a little bit more do-sex machina for the reasoning, but I do wish that there was a little bit more given as to why Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle chose to stay over Christmas break when they didn't before, or at least as far as we know they didn't, but I don't believe there was any mention of them in the last book staying over Christmas break. We do find out though that Mr. and Mrs. Weasley are visiting Bill in Egypt, so all of the Weasley kids are staying at the school for that reason. And I believe Hermione just said she wanted to stay, so she did it. And of course, Harry doesn't go home because the Dursleys don't really want him there. But I am just kind of so curious, why did these very choice Slytherin characters stay behind at Hogwarts? Was it just because of some loyalty to Malfoy? Were their parents doing other things? I mean, come on, other people have stories rather than Ron and Harry. It seems like nobody else really matters in this whole universe at this point, and that's a little bit frustrating because still personally, I don't find either of those two super likable. They are definitely not the reason I keep reading. But oh well, it's Christmas now at Hogwarts and all is forgiven from Hedwig. So Hedwig being salty with Harry at the beginning of the book for the whole thing with the car, I guess that was still going on for half of the school year. And now that it's Christmas, her gift to Harry is to be like, I forgive you, buddy. And finally, the Polyjuice Potion is ready and Ron is worried about eating somebody's toenails, like having to sprinkle it in the drink and then consume their toenails. But let's be honest here, is there a good answer? I mean, sure, toenails are pretty gross, but if it's not nail clippings, it's gonna be skin cells, it's gonna be hair, it's like, there's no good answer. Spit, snot, I mean, what would you prefer to consume from a person, honestly? Me personally, I don't think I'm dedicated enough to do a polyjuice potion, that, that's too gross. It gets on all my weird anxieties, I hate the idea. But gosh darn it, they want Malfoy to be guilty so they're gonna commit to this level of heinous disgustingness. And also because it's Christmas, Harry has got some presents to open. He's got a new sweater from Mrs. Weasley and the Dursleys send Harry a toothpick for Christmas. And that toothpick is accompanied with a note that asks if Harry can stay all summer at Hogwarts too so they don't even want him back at this point. And honestly, with the terms in which Harry left by, you know, ripping out their window and jumping into a flying car, I don't really blame the Dursleys for not wanting Harry back. I mean, they didn't want him in the first place. And they certainly crossed a line by barring Harry into his room and, you know, trying to sincerely feed him next to nothing. But with how Harry got away from that situation without any kind of consent or permission, I mean, where did we expect this to go. Of course it's not going to go to a good place because they're, they're angry. They're not going to stop being angry. And it's not like Harry sent over some of his gold and said, hey, fix your window. You know, I, I want to make everything even and right, even though you guys were kind of jerky to me. You know, I'll be the bigger person as a 12 year old. But you know, Harry's sitting there watching Ron with his sparky wand screwing stuff up left and right all year and he won't even offer to get Ron a new wand. So 
I don't know. Um, I don't... I don't know, Harry is so miserly, he won't spend a penny. We might as well just start calling him Scrooge McPotter. But in other news of presents, Harry also got a big tin of, I think that's Treacle Toffee, T-R-E-A-C-L-E, Treacle, I, I think that's right. And Ron gave Harry a Flying with Cannons book, which is his favorite Quidditch team and all sorts of facts about them. Hermione gave Harry an Eagle Feather Quill, and Mrs. Weasley gave Harry another hand-knit sweater along with a plum cake, whatever that is. I feel like that could be a real British food, but it sounds kind of gross. But getting back to the Polyjuice Potion finally, Hermione has this really elaborate plan where she wants to knock out Crab and Goyle, and Hermione's plan is to leave this uh, hexed or enchanted, spelled, charmed. I, I don't know the right terminology for all the different types of magic. I don't, I don't know what applies to what, but she's done something to these cakes and she wants Harry and Ron to leave these cakes where Crab and Goyle will get them and gobble them down. And then once they're knocked out, the boys are to take some of Crab and Goyle's hair and lock them up so that they can't get in the way. And Hermione is so stern and direct and matter of fact about, no, this is the plan. This is what we're doing, boys. I, she kind of reminds me of McGarnagle a bit, and it makes me wonder, will Hermione go on to teach one day? Because I, I think she'd be really good at it. Now, even though Hermione is going to participate with this Polyjuice Potion stuff, she doesn't have to knock anybody out because during the dueling club, she actually got a hair from Millicent Bullstrode, I think that's how you say that, who was her dueling partner that, you know, she broke into fights with as well, and Millicent had left a hair on Hermione's cloak, so easy breezy, she doesn't even have to work as hard as the boys. And here was another bit that I thought was interesting. They're having the big Christmas dinner at the Hogwarts uh, tables, common room, great hall, something like that. One of those. And the book sort of paints Crab and Goyle in this almost nasty tone. It says they shovel down forth helpings and it, it's got a very negative connotation in the way that it talks about them even though the book was just talking about Ron and Harry having their third helping of pudding and it was just like so well that's just how boys do. They eat a ton kind of a, a mood about it but Crab and Goyle are Slytherins. We're not supposed to like them for whatever reason. They only exist to be bad guys so of course them eating extra is painted in this negative light, whereas Ron and Harry doing it just makes it feel like, hey, you know, this is just what's happening. It's fun. It's they're having a good time. This is how we're going to show that they're having a good time by having three helpings of pudding. But for anybody else to overeat is is just gross, apparently. And again, that's something I really don't like about how Rowling writes. Everybody has a story. Everybody has an angle. They don't have to be bad just for the sake of being bad. That's so lazy. And it's not even just this Christmas scene. I mean, Ron and Harry are always described as eating seconds and thirds and fourths and there's no guff about it. But golly goodness forbid if some other 12 year olds want to eat extra too. Anyways, the Polyjuice Potion is now ready that they have all the ingredients and the gross hairs out of everyone's heads. And the potion will last for one hour. They all gulp it down and it tastes like overcooked cabbage. Which I know the smell but I have never tasted such a thing. It smells disgusting. I would not want to put it in my mouth. And Harry turns into Goyle, Ron turns into Crab, and for Hermione they just describe her as squeaking when she talks. 
She won't come out of her stall. She doesn't want to be seen. She tells the boys to go on without her. So after a brief protest, the boys do leave without Hermione, but then they realize they have no clue how to get to the Slytherin common room. And I'm just like, okay, I know you're 12. I know you're in your mid-20s before your logic center in your brain is fully developed, but come on. Nobody thought, hey, let's figure out where this room is first before we drink a potion that only lasts for an hour. Think, children, think. They do end up passing Percy in the halls, though, and they fool him. But while they're kind of asking Percy, well, what makes you safe from the monster that's roaming around? And he goes, well, I'm a prefect. Prefects would be safe from attacks. Nobody's gonna mess with a Hogwarts prefect. And I don't think that assumption is accurate, but I, I just kind of love that little ego he has of, well, I'm safe because I'm important. Like, Percy, dude, you're the equivalent of a shift manager at Walmart. You're like nobody. But Malfoy ends up walking by and collecting Crab and Goyle, and Malfoy says that he's noticed Percy sneaking around a lot lately. Then Draco takes them to the Slytherin common room, where the entrance is a secret stone wall where the password is pure blood. Again, in light of everything that's going on and how frequently the Gryffindor password seems to change, it feels like a password put out there in very poor taste. Why? I mean, is the sorting hat just going, ah, I think you're a jerk. Let's put you straight in Slytherin. Because that's not what ambition and pride is supposed to represent. It doesn't mean that you're a horrible person and all the Slytherins we meet seem like they're horrible people for no explicable reason. But now they're in the common room and Malfoy passes over this newspaper that explains Arthur Weasley was fined 50 galleons for the flying car incident. And I don't really know how much that is, but I figure it's a pretty significant dent because the Weasleys are already pretty broke. And Lucius Malfoy in this article wants the resignation of Mr. Weasley. And it turns out that Lucius is a governor of Hogwarts, whatever exactly that means. I, I feel like maybe that's part of the board of education type of a position. I don't know. We don't have governors to our schools here. And then Lucius also tells the newspaper that he wants to scrap Mr. Weasley's Muggle Protection Act. So he is going in full force. He wants Arthur on his knees hurting and broke, you know, bleeding out in a ditch, dying somewhere. And apparently Malfoy says that his father Lucius knows that the Chamber of Secrets was opened 50 years years ago, which was still before Lucius's time at Hogwarts, but it was a big enough event that he heard about it. And the chamber opener was expelled and sent to Azkaban, which obviously all of us now know that the Azkaban is the wizard jail. We know that it's the title of the third book, but this is actually the first time that I believe it's been mentioned in the series. So that's interesting that it, it's woven in early. Although I do take an issue with Lucius knowing that the chamber had been open 50 years prior, because for one, that would mean that Professor Benz would have been there to know about it. So him calling it a fake not real thing doesn't make sense. I mean, I suppose he could be saying that for the sake of the students and trying to keep them from looking for the chamber, but Professor Benz just seems so pompously sure of himself that the chamber wasn't real. And even if Hogwarts had covered the whole event up, I mean, wouldn't the professor still know about it? It's not like Benz is new. He's the ghost professor. He's been there forever. And then my second issue with the chamber being open 50 years prior, remember 
remember at the end of the first book where Dumbledore says, well, what happened with you down the trap door is a complete secret, so naturally the entire school knows about it, you know, something like that. So again, it feels like that these kids would have parents or grandparents or, you know, recent-ish reliable sources to talk to about the Chamber of Secrets, write a letter, send it with an owl, you know, ask great-grandma what she knows about it, you know, something along that line. But instead, the Chamber is being treated over and over again like it's supposed to be some weird urban legend. So yeah, it really feels like those two issues conflict with the chamber being open previously, you know, in recent-ish memory. So I wonder if Lucius is the liar and he's just kind of trying to push Malfoy further and farther into something. Oh, but Malfoy does mention that uh, his house was raided by the Ministry, but lucky for them, they didn't check the secret chamber under the drawing room floor. So Ron's sitting there disguised as crab going, <laughs> wait till I tell my dad this. But now the polyjuice potion is starting to wear off and the fake crab and Goyle have to go sprinting out of the Slytherin common room before they turn back into Ron and Harry. And the two boys get back to Moaning Myrtle's bathroom just to find out that Hermione didn't actually get Millicent's hair. She got a cat hair. And animals are not supposed to be used in a polyjuice potion, so now Hermione is like this weird human cat chimera thing that is not transforming back to Hermione at the end of the hour. But Harry's like, hey, it's okay, Hermione. Don't panic. We're gonna take you to Madame Pomfrey. She doesn't really ask many questions. And I understand from the point of a nurse where, you know, you want the kids to come to you if you're in trouble so maybe you don't want to pry and find out anything you'd have to get them in trouble for but um I feel like if you walk into her office as a half cat person it should warrant at least a little bit of an inquiry but uh, I, I guess we'll see in the next chapter how that goes but there was so much going on in this chapter and it was it was so fun it seemed like it was quite a pretty lengthy chapter too and a lot of the other ones that have been over 20 pages like I have started to feel every page but this one I actually got to the last page and I was like oh that's the end already? So either I am fixing my dyslexia with Harry Potter somehow or I'm just getting engrossed to the point where I don't care that I have to read certain sentences four and five times over and I'm still holding firm that I think the monster has to be snake related but I'm still not sure about what the whole spiders fleeing Hogwarts is about or why the phoenix is significant enough to be on the cover of the book but uh we're about six chapters from the end so I'm assuming that information's gonna come out soon anyways guys I want to thank you for watching remember to subscribe check back every week for a new episode and of course I love it when you guys chime in to comment and debate and you know open these questions or explain some of the things that don't make sense in these chapters to me. Just remember, as a courtesy to anybody reading along, please don't put spoilers in the comments. Usually by the time the video comes out, I am way past that chapter in the book, so it's not really a spoiler for me at that point if you tell me, oh yeah, so-and-so is gonna be blank. But there are people who are like, oh, I'm gonna go through this chapter by chapter, we're gonna have this experience together, I haven't read this before, which yes, believe it or not, we do exist. We are out there, our Harry Potter non-reading foes of humanity, whatever. There needs to be a proper term for people who have seen the movies but won't read the books. I need to figure out what that term is because I've been that 
person forever. But what was my point? Oh yeah, just be courteous if you leave a comment or anything to try not to spoil anything for somebody who might be scrolling through. Anyways, I'm really leaving this time. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time, family members. Well, family members, we're almost done, but I want to invite you to hang out with me in some other places. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as my own personal self, and I have a Facebook page too, but I mostly just post photos over there. And sometimes people say, hey, McGann, I want to mail you something. How do I do that? Easy. Just click the About tab on my channel page, and my most current P.O. Box info will be right there. I also run another channel, The Family. It's really a hodgepodge channel where we might post anything. Oh yeah, and I also sell shirts and stickers and stuff with the family and the fangirl logos. If that is your cup of tea, I have a link in every description of every video. Finally, if you want to help out the fangirl channel and make sure I'm putting out video essays for years to come, the best way you can help is by subscribing and watching more of my videos, whether they're new, old, whatever. Maybe even share one or two on social media, help spread the word. People who watch to the end of videos like you helps to tell the site, hey, this is a good video. We should recommend it to other people. So if you made it this far, leave me a comment of something like, hey, I made it to the end. Love ya. See you next time, family members. Bye.